2 Thessalonians. Go ahead and turn there. 2 Thessalonians comes right after 1 Thessalonians. I want to start tonight <laughs> with a key verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. Everybody take a breath. Some of you have had a busy week. This is the time to rest. Rest in Jesus. Rest in the Word. Take a breath. You're among friends, people of God. We're excited you're here. We're blessed that you're here. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5. I'm going to just claim that this is a key verse for, for First and Second Thessalonians. We're just going to go out on a limb tonight. See, so this is the key verse in the heart of Paul in his, both his letters to the Thessalonians where he says this, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. That's, that's the heart of Paul in very few words. Can we just live in this verse for a moment? Just, I'm going to live here for a second. This is Paul's heart. This is Paul. He wrote, he wrote almost half the New Testament, Paul did. Paul wrote some beautiful lines, some beautiful words of Scripture for us, but this is, this is his heart. When you get right down to it, you know, when our worship team, when our worship team gathers to practice, this is their heart. This is the heart of our worship team. They want the Lord to direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness or the perseverance or the patient waiting of Christ. That's their heart. Every sermon that's preached in this place, Billy, where I, I preach, other preachers, this is their heart when they, when they stand here to preach a sermon. They want the Lord to direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Every worship gathering, every home fellowship, every home fellowship leader, this is their heart. Every home fellowship leader in this church, this is their heart. This is his heart that the Lord would direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness, the perseverance, the patient waiting of Christ. Every Bible study, every pastor's meeting we have, every elder's meeting we have, every men's meeting we have, every women's meeting we have, every church planting meeting, every mission trip, every co-op, this is our heart. It's the heart of Paul right here. That the Lord would direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Wow. Just take, take, take a minute or two to memorize it. Just go ahead right now, memorize it. This is, this is the assignment. Memorize that verse in your mind. 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Isn't that rich? That's ministry. This is, this is church. This is our goal. It sounds a little bit like Lamentations 3.22, doesn't it? 
Sounds like the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. I'm just going to read it one more time. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. So Paul's writing to the Thessalonians in 315 BC, King Cassander of Macedon named this city Thessalonike or Thessalonica. It's named after his wife, Thessalonica. Her name means victory over the Thessalonians. This is where we get Thessalonia, and a word that all of us know, the one Greek word we all know, Nike. It means winged victory or victory. That's what Nike means. So this Nike is from the shoe company where it's Thessalonike, the victory over the Thessalonians. It became a city of the Roman Republic in about 50 AD. And while Paul was there on his missionary journey, his second missionary journey, he went into the synagogue, it says in Acts chapter 17. And I love this, I love what he did there. It says he went into the synagogue and argued. I would have loved to have been there just to hear what Paul did with those Jewish scholars in the synagogue, arguing from the scriptures that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and what the resurrection was about and what the crucifixion was about, all from the Old Testament. And Paul just had that argument. I, I, I want to be there. I want to be a fly on the wall for that, for that meeting with the rulers in the synagogue. Well, he sowed the seeds some of them listened and said, yeah, the Spirit of God is upon us. And they sowed the seeds there for the first Christian church. That's found in Acts chapter 17. These letters that Paul wrote were probably written just a couple of years later than that original founding in Thessalonike, Thessalonike. Second Thessalonians is a follow-up letter to the church that Paul has formed. And he's writing this again with Silas and Timothy. And they're addressing some concerns from the first letter. And the major concern that they're addressing in the second letter is, what, what about this rapture thing? What about Jesus returning again? What, what's, what's really going to happen there? Go to, go to chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by a word of mouth or by a letter, asserting that the day of the Lord had already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. 
he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called good or God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? So obviously this letter is addressing some kind of rumor that's going around the church in Thessalonica that says Jesus is going to show up in the clouds any day. That's from chapter 4 of the previous letter. But what, hap- what happened was people were taking this so literally that they were quitting their jobs. They started mooching off other people and they had to handle this feeling that was rampant in the church. There was just, it kind of committed, it, it produced chaos in the church, what happened. And people were freaking out. So this is how he resolved it. Read verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6. And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. So Paul's saying he didn't come yet. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceive those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So Paul is saying that the day of the second coming cannot have arrived. Now hear this. It cannot have arrived and will not arrive until this great apostasy happens or this great man of lawlessness comes on the scene which is going to happen at the end anyway. That's his basic answer to the hysteria at Thessalonica. I think we can summarize from this a few things, and I want to just take from the text what we can say for sure about this man of lawlessness that Paul's talking about. We can say that there are questions that are left unanswered, and this is, by the way, a very confusing a chapter of, of Scripture for most biblical scholars, and I'm certainly not one that's going to uh, tell you what the, what the right answers are tonight. But we need to understand that we can say some things with certainty, and I think this leads us to, to a deeper issue within all of us. That's where I want to go with it. So first of all, with certainty, certainty, we can say that this man of lawlessness is a man. He's a human. This is not going to be some angelic form, not a demon, but this is a man of lawlessness, a man left to himself, void of God in every way. He is a superman, empty of God. That is what this man of lawlessness is and will be. He is a person, he's a man who is quintessentially lawless. So think about that for a second. He is called a man of lawlessness, and he sees himself as one absolutely above the law. He is subject to no law and no lawgiver, and he has no authority over him. 
So since there's only one person who is above the law, namely God, God is above the law. God is the only one above the law because God wrote the law. The man of lawlessness claims to be God. He says so explicitly in verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God, and this man of lawlessness, lawlessness claims to be the final climactic antichrist. This man is coming. He does not believe in Jesus at all. He is completely against Jesus, and he is the ultimate expression of antichrist. Now, as we know, there have been many antichrists, but this one will be the last one. He's going to be destroyed by the mouth of Jesus. As we know that Jesus will ride on the, the white horse and what will come out of his mouth will be a sword, which is the word of God. The word of God will destroy this man of lawlessness and the fire of heaven will, will come and this man of lawlessness is born for destruction. Paul calls him the son of destruction in verse 3. His DNA, so to speak, is from his satanic father, so he's going to be destroyed. That's what his DNA is. His very DNA will destroy him. He's going to be destroyed. He has no future. He is doomed. But he will come by the power of Satan. He will be just like Satan, but not Satan. He will be accomplishing Satan's purpose in vain. He is a liar. He serves the father of lies. He performs signs and wonders, but they are only magic tricks, and he will be unparalleled in his ability to deceive. He also will deceive by making unrighteousness seem pleasurable. He makes believe that pleasure is found only in oneself. So we start recalling, when we read this, we start recalling all of these scriptures. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 9. Then you will be handed over to, the per to be persecuted, and you will be put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So Jesus will destroy this man of lawlessness by his mouth and in the fire of heaven when Jesus comes back. And Jesus foresaw this great, this great deception, a betrayal, a great betrayal apostasy, a horrible season of lawlessness that will come upon the earth. Love will grow cold, no matter how many forerunners of this man of lawlessness there have been in history. We know that none of them is this one that Paul is talking about. We all like to talk about Hitler and Mussolini and, who is it, Ho Chi Minh, I mean, all these great uh, leaders that have killed thousands of people. Yes, those were men of lawlessness, but they were not this man. 
I think some people try to get around this text by saying there's been a lot of them, and they have cropped up in history, but it's irrelevant because this man will be destroyed by the fiery second coming of Jesus Christ. Praise God. So now what's interesting about reading about all this, and you know, it gets kind of depressing, I just want to ask you a question. What about you? Everyone here fights within them a spiritual battle. And you know exactly it is who we fight. We fight that man of lawlessness. We could spend a lot of time as a church, we could have a lot of Bible scholars here, we could have a lot of preaching pastors come in, try to interpret for you just exactly when the rapture will happen. But I don't think that's what Paul's calling for here. He's not calling the the church at Thessalonica to, to talk about, hey, well, then, if this is true, then when exactly will this happen? We all know that Jesus said specifically, it's not for us to know the times or the seasons. In fact, it's a waste of time to even try to, to think about that. But I want to talk about the deeper issue, and that's the man of lawlessness in your life. That voice of temptation, the selfishness, the conceit, the lawlessness. Why is it so easy to identify the selfishness in others and look for it in others? You hear the devil whisper in your ear, who wants to set up the abomination that causes desolation on the throne of your heart? The devil does. The Bible says that our, our body is a temple, a temple of the Lord, a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we can set up the abomination that causes desolation even on the throne of our heart. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not, I'm not as bad as her. You know one of the worst questions we ask? It's the question that Eve and Adam had to wrestle with. Here it is. You ready for this? What can I get away with and still be a Christian? That's when it starts to to percolate that abomination. What can I get away with and still be married? You hear the evil? You hear the man of lawlessness? What can I get away with and still be seen as a good person? What can I get away with and still have this job? How can I get around the law? How can I not get caught? The very same evil that we see in others is in us. It's the same. Same evil. It's there. 
Scripturally speaking, let me, let me pare it down for you. Those who go to heaven want to go to heaven. Those who go to hell want to go to hell. That's the New Testament. That's the Old Testament. That's the scripture. And we say hallelujah because God chose us for sanctification. Sanctification is a big word that means holiness, purity, the joy of God within us, leading us into sanctifying our hearts where we can say with the angels, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. That's where we we train our minds to think about the holiness, the beauty, the brightness, the glory. We took communion today, tonight, for that very reason, to set our minds on Jesus Christ, to remember to put ourselves aside. Say, I am here. I am consistent with Paul's teaching that my heart is taken captive by Jesus. This is where Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, right after this passage in, in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, go there. But we always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. Because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is amazing. When you start reading this, you start hearing echoes of other scriptures where Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, listen, therefore, Romans chapter 1, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. God gave them over to it, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God, the truth about God, for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice evil, cunning, or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of Jesus penetrating your hearts, expelling the darkness, chasing away the darkness, killing the man of lawlessness, making you and I 
as children of God, servants of, of Jesus, holy, sanctified. This is the will of God. Second Timothy chapter 3, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. This is a perfect description of the man of lawlessness. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Jesus said, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, which is the temple of God, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This comes from the book of Daniel. It's, it's a long story, but I'll just make it short. The ruler Antiochus Epiphanes took over the temple of God and basically set himself as the leader in the middle of the temple and was being worshipped. And it was a complete desolation and abomination of what was happening in the temple of God. That's when the daily sacrifice was abolished. Basically, it's, it's the abomination is that the daily sacrifices were abolished and there was no more blood sacrifice. There was, no, there was no pointing to Jesus. It's when it was cut off. Jesus said, when you see that, you'll know it's time. Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ, This is Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your mind on things above. Where Christ is, he is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. When you received Jesus Christ into your heart, the man of lawlessness inside of you died. You died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, this is still an ongoing matter, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, 
but Christ is all and is in all. And as God's chosen people, since that guy died, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How can you as a Christian hold a grudge? And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Jesus rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, <laughs> that's everything, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's how we wait for the rapture. That is our instructions. The last thing we want to do is get into little small groups and try to predict when the rapture is going to happen. The best thing to do is exactly what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3. Jesus makes all of this very clear when he reveals that the time of his second coming will be when the abomination that causes desolation will be set up. But if, it's, if it happens, just remember, it's not long after that. So that's a good thing. You know, as members, as members of the bride of Christ, I hope you long. Like John said, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Jesus, come quickly. Yes, we want that. It's a short prayer. Sometimes we get tired of waiting for the imminent return. We look for the Lord Jesus. Billy, I've been looking for the Lord to come back for many years now. But we're here. The older I get, and with all the events going on around us, Sure, I can't wait. But I have an old pastor friend. As I was working on this sermon, it just echoed in my mind. This old pastor used to say, Bill, I know the undertaker may come, but I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. I want the upper taker. And we're going to rise. We will rise with Jesus. Amen. Worship team, come on up. I like what we did last week where we just had some time of prayer. You know, if the, if the man of lawlessness is, is just poking around inside of you, tonight is the night to watch him die. And we do that by focusing on the cross of Jesus and what happened there, the resurrection of Jesus. Maybe you've never received that kind of 
grace and forgiveness by focusing your full attention on who is Jesus Christ and who do you say Jesus is. He is the Lord. He is the life giver. He's the one that forgives by his blood. If you've never received him, tonight's the night. Don't put it off. We don't know when this man of lawlessness is coming, but I know that it it happens in our hearts. And I know that he... He's just the devil, like the devil, just like the devil. Wow. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word in Second Thessalonians. I thank you that we don't understand all the perfect timing of what's going to happen. But I know, Jesus, that you are real. I know that I once was lost and blind and selfish and thought everything revolved around me. I just want to thank you for coming into my heart, cutting away the toughness, exposing my heart of flesh, letting me be able to say to someone I love you and mean it as a brother, as a sister. God, I just thank you for who you are. I know that you're working in the room tonight. Lord, I believe that salvation is in this house tonight. You're calling people to yourself. You're calling for a couple things. You're calling us to die to ourselves, and then you're calling us to live for you. Lord, bless that person who needs you tonight. Encourage them with this word that their heart would be set on you. That they would wait for the perseverance of Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. The front row, the altar up here is all open for prayer if you want to come and pray. People will pray with you. It's just a blessing. It's a blessing. The Spirit of God is here.